Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. Last week, um, Leon shared beautifully about the Royal Invitation and how many of us were here, how many have watched that online or watched it on demand. But really, it was about, you know, no matter what we feel about ourselves, no matter how our lives have been, or even no matter how we feel our lives are, even today, you know, we have a royal invitation that is open to us to accept. And what that means for us if we do accept it. And you may not have spotted this, but he, he flashed a quick verse up last week that, that really stuck with me. And it was this verse from Romans. And it was Romans 7.24. And it says this, What a wretched man I am, who will rescue me? from this body that is subject to death. Now, it just flashed up for a couple of seconds, but we're going to look at that word rescue today in a bit more detail. And really what I want to talk to you about is is how God plans to deliver that royal invitation, how he planned to do that. Because there's something about rescue missions, isn't there, in our world that captivates us. You know, we make movies out of them all the time, don't we? We make movies out of the time. Who's seen this one? Um, Apollo 13. Yeah, what a, what a film, what a film that is. You know, and the astronauts, not Tom Hanks, but the real astronauts, um, were basically heading for, for death in space. But with great thinking and with teamwork, you know, not only by the astronauts themselves, but their team back in NASA and back on Earth, those three astronauts made it home safely. Now, some of us weren't even born when I'm going to mention this one, but some of you remember this. Do you remember the rescue back in the late 80s of baby Jessica McClure? She'd fallen down a well. Does anybody remember that? She fell down a well. She was 18 months old when she fell down that well. And for nearly 60 hours, she was trapped underground. And the world watched on, wondering how people would find a way to rescue her. But after amazing work, she was rescued. And there was the rescue of Captain Phillips, or Tom Hanks, but really Captain Phillips. Okay, part of the crew taken by some... I just realised, isn't he in every rescue movie? It's some kind of thing written into his contract that, um, you know, if there's a big rescue, you've got to employ me. But um, Somalian pirates, and that was the story of his rescue. And then there were the 33 Chilean miners. Remember that story? rescued from hundreds of feet under a mountain, and they were rescued after, after 69 days. But some of you may not have heard about this rescue story. This is me, okay? I want to tell you about my rescue story this, um, this morning, and, and I'm glad in a way that, that Leon isn't here, because if he was, he'd remember this, because he was very key in my rescue story, and a few, a num- in fact, a number of years ago now, I um, went out for a walk over Clent with a friend of mine that wasn't an, was an American friend of mine, wasn't native to this country, and we went for a walk um, in a nice summer's evening, like it, like it will be tonight, over Clent, and um, and I hadn't. I'm not a really big Clint walker. I have one route. Who has one route when they go to Clint? You just go to the stones, you walk back, you've done it, haven't you? You've gone up the hill, it's all done. But anyway, so, so, but my friend who, um, who had lived in the area for a few years, obviously, or so she said to me, walked over Clint a lot. And so I just followed her. Who's a follower in the room? Honestly, I'll follow anybody as long as I look as though they know where they're going. So, so we went for this walk and, um, and I'd seen things over there. I'd, I'd, there was a brook. That, I'd, seen, I'd seen things there that I hadn't seen before in my life. 
And uh, it was getting quite a bit twilight. I'm thinking, I don't recognise anything here. I do not recognise a thing. And I, I keep saying to her, oh, do you know where we're going? I know where we're going, Jane. It's absolutely fine. I know exactly where we are. Do this all the time. Fine, kept going. And it was getting really dark. I'm thinking, we've not turned around here. And I could see, you know, you can see in somebody's eyes that they're not quite sure. And, um, but she kept saying to me, and I, so anyway, um, she had to admit to me that we were lost. She hadn't got the foggiest about where we were. We'd been walking hours. I'm telling you, it must have been 10 o'clock at night and it was getting quite dark on Clent. You know, I was getting quite panicky. She hadn't got a clue where we were. And we walked out onto the back of, um, of like a residential site. And Alison's going to know exactly where this is now. So we came off, and, and I didn't know where we were. And I said, we've got to phone somebody. We've got to phone somebody. And she went, no, no. I said, look, do you, you don't know. I don't know. We've got to phone somebody. And, the, and I phoned Russ, and he didn't pick up. Um, that's my husband, if he didn't know. Um, so I thought, Who, who's going to know where we are? I thought, Leon's going to know where we are. So I had to suck it up, majorly, phone him, and after the laughter, he did agree to come and pick us up from where we were. <laughs> but we'd walked miles. I mean, it was a fair like drive back to the car. Um, and when we were in the car, Leon, I remember Leon saying to her, well, what, what, what did you, what were you doing? And, and she said, I just followed the rabbits. That's what she said. <laughs> And so I'm wondering who's going to play me in the Hollywood blockbuster because it can't be Tom Hanks, can it? But what is it? What is That's a true story, and I'm glad he's not here because I've shamed myself terribly already. But so what is it about search and rescue missions that captivate us watching on, you know? Is it the fact that there's life could be hanging in the balance, that we don't know which way it's going to go, you know? Something needs to be done, and, and they become huge stories of hope. And the stories I've shown are all huge world-breaking news, aren't they? They would be global news even if something happened right now. But we know there are many, many rescue stories that we don't hear about. You know, and you might have your own story. It's going to take a bit to eclipse mine, but you might have your own story. But what about the person that finds themselves lost? Do you know what? When you're lost, it's really good to know somebody's looking for you. It's really good to know somebody's looking for you. And if you were lost, who'd come looking for you? Probably somebody who cares a lot about you. Probably somebody who loves you a lot. Um, somebody who couldn't and probably wouldn't rest until you'd been not only found, but brought back home safe and sound. Now, what would you think? What would you think today if I told you God feels that way about you? God feels that way about you. And you may never have heard that before. It's maybe the first time that you've tuned in watching us online or you're watching it on demand. Or it may be the first time in one of our locations today. But I want to tell you, God feels that way about you today. And you may have been a follower of Jesus for a long time. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that truth. In fact, Jesus said himself that, one of the main reasons he came to earth was to launch the ultimate search and rescue mission for you and me. But what is a rescue after all? Ever thought about that? What is a rescue? It's something, it's something that somebody else does for you. You know, if I was trapped in a fire or I needed an ambulance, what would I do? What would you do? You'd call 999 because I need someone else to do for me what I can't do for myself. 
Now, calling 999 doesn't save me. Calling 999 doesn't save me. It's the fireman or the paramedic that comes out that saves me. You see, calling 999 just puts me in touch with somebody. Puts me in touch with somebody who's got the ability to save me. You see, the one who answers the call is the one who saves you. And that's really important to understand. And I'm going to show you that today, how important that is. And we're going to look at a story today that I've heard thousands of times, and you may have done it, or this may be the first time that you've, that you've read it or heard about it. We're going to look at Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. They're going to come up on the screen for you. If you've not got a Bible with you or access to one today, that's absolutely fine. And we're going to go through it verse by verse, because we're going to find out what God's search and rescue mission is all about. And it's about a guy called Zacchaeus. Now, you might think that Zacchaeus is like a children's story and is something that we trot out as a really good example of, of stories for children. But let me tell you, there's so much truth in this for us today. So the first couple of verses say this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Now, Zacchaeus doesn't look really lost, does he? He doesn't look lost. He's living in Jericho. Now, Jericho is a really prosperous city. It was about 20 miles from Jerusalem. It's a real happening city. It's a real happening city, full of business and trade. And he was a government employee, a chief tax collector, the Bible tells us, for the Romans. Now, it took a lot of money to keep the empire going. And most of that money, most of that money came out of the pockets of the people they'd conquered. So like the people in Jericho. And the Romans then hired local people to collect those taxes. So you can imagine how well that went down. They considered, they considered the worst of traitors. Because they not only collected the tax, but also lined their pockets by adding a little bit on top. By milking the people they're actually taking the taxes from. Which is why Zach is probably so wealthy. This isn't just like it covers my bills kind of job. Let me tell you, this is luxury living. His family would have had the best of everything. They'd have been enjoying the high life. Do you know if Zacchaeus lived today? He'd be the one in the Armani suits, the designer wear, the yacht off the, you know, off the coast maybe, exotic holidays. But while Zac Zacchaeus lived that way, most of the people around him were living on bread and fish. That was the gap. So Zacchaeus is onto a winner, isn't he, really? He's got power, he's got prestige, he's got money. Life was treating him really well. He looked the furthest from needing rescue than anybody. You see, he wasn't lost at all. You see, and I may be talking to you today who can relate to that person. You see, you're not a tax collector like Zacchaeus was. If you work for the tax office, that's absolutely fine. But, you know, he wasn't a tax inspector like Zacchaeus was. Um, I'd stick myself out of that hole. But, but you, have, you have a good life, is what I'm trying to say. You've got a good job. You've got, you know, your family's okay. You've got good standing. Why would you need rescuing? What could Jesus do for you that you've not already got yourself? And I can tell you that Zacchaeus had all of that but something was missing. Something Rome, something his lifestyle couldn't give him. How do I know that? Because when Jesus comes to Jericho, Zacchaeus drops everything to get a glimpse of him. But there's a problem. So back to the story. 
He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was so short, he couldn't see over the crowd. There's a big crowd of much taller people trying to see Jesus, and Zacchaeus is smaller. He's too short to see. Now, I'm going to give a bit of artistic license here, but go with me. People in the crowd would have known Zacchaeus. And I think many would have intentionally blocked his view. I can just imagine him, you know, trying to weave his way through the crowds and somebody seeing him and going, oh, let's jump in front of him. You're not going to get to see Jesus, Zacchaeus. You know, we know who you are. You know, he'd be jumping up and down, trying to get a glimpse of him. People around him laughing as they did because he was so short, doing everything they can to make sure he couldn't see Jesus. And let's face it, Jesus wouldn't want to see him anyway knowing what he did. There's two things I get from this. The first thing is this. Jane, don't get in the way of people who need to see Jesus. Be really careful that you never stand in anybody's way, and I never stand in anybody's way, with a self-righteous or a self-centered attitude. Who am I to decide who Jesus would prefer to choose to see anyway? Would I have been one of those people is what I asked myself. Would I have been one of those people that got in the way of Zacchaeus to stop him getting a glimpse of Jesus because I thought there were much more deserving people who needed to do that? Sometimes, you know, a lot more people could see Jesus more clearly if I just got out of their way. But the second thing I get from him is this. Don't let anyone get in your way either. Don't let anybody stand between you and Jesus. Don't let anyone shield you from or help you forget the goodness and the greatness and the love of God. And sometimes we have to be willing to look past the crowd to see Jesus for ourselves. Is there anybody in your life right now, in your circle, that is stopping you getting a good sight of Jesus? This is what Zacchaeus does. Verse 4. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Imagine this sight and tell me, honestly tell me, what motivates a busy, prosperous, powerful, probably robe-wearing, top-robe Armani, you know, clothes to climb a tree to get a glimpse of a poor, penniless rabbi? What would motivate him to do that? Why is he so determined to see Jesus? This is my opinion of the answer. Zacchaeus feels lost. Zacchaeus feels lost. He's got plenty of money, but you know what money can't buy you? A true friend. Money cannot buy you a true friend. He was despised by his own community. He was despised by the Romans who employ him. Who knows what he felt about God at this point in his journey. And I think what Zacchaeus is thinking, how can I find my way to somebody who loves me? And you may be asking that question right now as I'm talking, you know, can God love somebody like me? Can God love somebody like me and my lifestyle? Let me tell you the answer is he already loves you. He already loves you. You see, I think Zacchaeus lived in a little world of loneliness. 
and he can't find his way out and he's stranded with his pride and his selfishness. He needs to be rescued. He's made his own way in life, but maybe, just maybe, he's starting to have some doubts about the road that he's traveling on. Is this really where I want to be in my life? Is it too late to turn around? Can my life be any different? And these are the questions that go through our minds, aren't they? 2,000 years later. Have you ever had those thoughts, ever had those frustrations that you've been travelling down the wrong road and wondering if there's a way to get back on track? Maybe you know what it feels like to be an outsider, you know, longing and hoping for somebody to go looking for you, somebody to find you, somebody to offer that hope that life can be different. And this is a lot about what I do in my job. Some of you may know what I do, some of you may not. But I'm really privileged to, to lead an organisation that's called Face Trust. And some people who, who work for this organisation are also part of our Life Central family. But this is what we do. We give young people and families hope. And some of you may even have been recipient of some of the services that we do. But I just want to give you a little one-minute overview of what we do. We work with children, young people and families that have some complex challenges to their lives. And some of these children, young people, have those questions that Zacchaeus would have had. Can my life be any different? Is it too late for me to stop doing what I'm doing? I don't know how to stop doing what I'm doing. I don't know how to get out of what I'm doing. I just feel that life is so much against me that I can't get over the challenges that I've got. And we have a privilege of working with those children and young people and families that are really feeling those challenges and hurdles to their life. We work with young people and children that have got additional needs, that have got autism, that have high anxiety, um, you know, um, a school phobic, all those kinds of stuff. But a part of the big role that we do is we work a lot with families and young people that are involved in exploitation. And I want to tell you the biggest tragedy I see is that many people are lost in life and they need a rescue plan, but they don't know it and they don't see it. And those we work with in exploitation, that is their story. They don't see their need for rescue because they're being fed rubbish. I'm going to be honest, rubbish about what their life value is like. And if you think that exploitation doesn't happen here, let me tell you, it does. It's not in some, you know, um, poverty-stricken council estate on the outskirts of Birmingham. It could be your next-door neighbour. And I want to invite you, if you want to know more about the work that we do, you know, get in touch with me. You know, Vicky, who was singing this morning, is part of my team. Have a chat to We would love to talk to you more about the work that we do. And I just want to take this moment just to say thank you to all of you that I know that pray for us already. And those of you that still give to us financially, listen, every prayer and every penny is invested back into the work that we do. And you are reaping the rewards of seeing people rescued. And I want to thank you for that. Because the first thing you have to do is realise that you're lost. You have to realise that you're lost. That's the first step to being found. And when you know you're lost, you know you need rescuing. Like I did. Listen, it was really hard for me to suck up and call Leon, let me tell you. But I knew I, I needed that. I needed that. 
And when you know you're lost, you're ready to discover the same thing that Zacchaeus did. Somebody who loves you is coming to find you and he's been looking for you to rescue you. Why was Jesus traveling through Jericho? Well, he was on his way to Jerusalem where he'll be arrested, where he'll be tried and then he'll be condemned to die. But he has to pass through Jericho. Why? Because he's looking for somebody. How do I know that? Verse 5 says this, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Jesus doesn't seem surprised to see a bloke in a tree. It's almost as if he says, there you are, Zacchaeus. <laughs> I've been wanting to see you. You see, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but not as much as Jesus wanted to see him. Isn't that a little ironic? That the one who seems to be seeking is really the one being sought? Jesus is the ultimate seeker in this story. He's the one on the greater rescue mission. And Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name as if he'd known him forever. And then he invites him, and I'd imagine his 12 mates as well, round to stay at his house. I don't know how I'd feel about having 13 people suddenly pitch up for dinner. But hey, you know, it was obviously a very hospitable guy. But Zacchaeus is overwhelmed. He knows my name. He wants to come to my house. And Jesus' invitation takes him completely by surprise, but also the crowd. Verses 6 and 7 say this, So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. I'm sure they muttered more than that. Maybe the crowds really miffed that Jesus wasn't going to come to their house. Or he'd chosen their nice, respectable home over Zacchaeus's. They grumble and again Jesus faces this disapproval and criticism from those around him. They don't realise the search and rescue mission that Jesus is on. And do you know what? Hand on heart, I can see myself in that story again because I don't realise the rescue missions that Jesus is on sometimes either. But did he let that stop him? Jesus was determined to share himself with Zacchaeus. And Jesus is determined to love those no one else desired to love. But how does he do it? The beautiful thing here is that a conversation that Jesus had to have with Zacchaeus was done in his own home. No embarrassment, no public humiliation, no calling out his faults and wrongdoings in front of his community. How beautiful is that? And at that some point during that evening... Zacchaeus realises he's found what he's looking for and he stands up and he makes this announcement. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. What prompts these words? His faith. He believes Jesus so strongly that he's willing to do something about what he's heard. Where he was once greedy and grasping, now he promises to give away half of everything he owns to the poor. And where he once maybe extorted money and extra from people, now he promises to give back what he stole four times over. Why does he do that? Is he trying to impress Jesus or win his approval? 
So you might think that, hadn't you? If that was me thinking, that's a really big gesture. You know, you're going all over the top there, Zacchaeus, or giving all of that away. But what does Jesus say back to Zacchaeus in response? Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man, this man too is a son of Abraham. What does that mean? Jesus calling Zacchaeus a son of Abraham. He's saying that Zacchaeus and Abraham have something in common. And James 2.23 says this, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Jesus was saying to Zacchaeus, you're now my friend. You're now my friend. You see, Zacchaeus wasn't rescued by promising to turn over a new leaf. He was rescued because he believed in Jesus. And that rescue always brings transformation, belief brings transformation. You see, there's a radical change in his character. This man who once cheated others is totally different after meeting Jesus. You see, Zacchaeus moves from taking advantage of people and maybe stealing from them to serving people and extending generosity to them. This is the transformation that God's rescue plan brings. It wasn't his promise to do better, although we all say that, don't we? It wasn't his promise to do better, but his faith in Jesus that prompted Jesus to say, today salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus, the rich man, the outcast, the tree climber, is finally found and rescued by the God who loves him. He's finally discovered the right road and rescued from his guilt and his hopelessness. You see, the truth is, the gospel, the good news of Jesus changes people and changed people change the world. And that would be a good story, wouldn't it? That would be a good story. But listen, here's what makes it a world-changing story. Jesus says one more thing that reaches across time to us today, to everybody in the room, to those watching online, to those in our locations. Verse 10 says this, for the son of man, Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. You see, Jesus came to this earth to launch a search and rescue mission for me and for you. He knows your name. He knows your name. He knows where you are. He knows all about you. He knows every moment leading up to this one right now. See, Jesus has been looking for you your whole life. He's just waiting for you to know that you need rescuing. You see, some people just have the idea, you know, that believing is something we do to save ourselves. Listen, if I was able to save myself, then by definition, I wouldn't need rescuing. Remember 999. Believing is calling 999. It's the way that we call on Jesus, but it's Jesus who saves and rescues me. But what did that rescue cost Jesus? There was a plan. For all of those rescue missions that I put on at the start, you know, the films and the girl down the well and the Chilean miners, a plan had to be put in place to rescue them. And from the beginning of the Bible, back with Adam and Eve, when our relationship with God was severed and broken, right at that moment, a plan was put into place and a job description written. Can you imagine that job description? Here's the job advert that went out, okay? You have to leave heaven. You have to be born as a man. Then you have to live a perfect life 24-7, 365 days a year. And then live the life that no one else 
has ever lived. Then, if that's not enough, you've got to offer yourself up as a sacrifice, lay down that life for everyone you know, everyone you'll never know, everyone in the future that's going to come that cannot live that perfect life. You need to carry that weight alone. You need to be nailed to a tree between heaven and earth and both of those things will reject you. That's what it will take to rescue them. That's the job advert that went out. And Jesus said, I want that job. I want that job. And he carried it out to the letter. And it was complete for everyone, for you watching right now. But Jane, you don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. You don't know my partner. You don't know my friend. You don't know my boss. You don't know me. No, you don't know my God. God delights in rescuing unlikely people. So this rescue mission demands a response today. It demands a decision. Jesus has been looking for you your whole life. Will you let him find you today? And right now you could answer that invitation that Leon spoke about last week. And I want to ask you if you would say, do you know what? I've not let Jesus find me yet. You can do that right now. And if you're online, you can put in our chat and somebody will respond to you. If you're in our locations, you can speak to people that are there. If you're here in the room with me today, you can answer that right now. Let Jesus find you today. Have a conversation with somebody. Find out what your next step is, as Andy talked about. There's an ultimate search and rescue plan on its way for you. But what if we're already rescued? What if we already have this relationship with Jesus? Well, there's a simple answer to that. You see, we can forget why we were rescued in the first place. And we can forget that we're on a rescue mission every day. Because we were rescued to become part of somebody else's rescue story. How do I know that to be true? My granddad um, fought in the First World War. And he was in a very famous battle and he was injured. He was really, really severely injured. And um, while he was on the battlefield and he was dying, he made a deal with God. He wasn't a Christian. And he said, God, if you get me home, if you get me home, I promise that I will spend the rest of my life serving you. And miraculously, he was found on the battlefield. He was taken, he was cared for, he returned to his unit, and he was sent home. Um, And the only thing I know about his wound was the fact that my dad used to say that my nanny could could fit the whole of a fist into the wound in his side. That was how big it was. Um, And... He then went to um, a church. It was a small little chapel in a place called Spring Meadow in Old Hill. Some of you may know that or heard of that place. And he ran to the front and he threw himself at the front of the church in tears and gave his life to Christ. 
Now, do you know when you have family stories and you think, oh, somebody's added a bit to that, you know, somebody's, you know, it, like it starts off with one crocodile and the next time they tell it, it's 20 crocodiles and, you know, it gets added to all the time. And, and I thought, oh, this is, this is a really good story, like a, a, a family fable. Until I shared this story um, quite a number of years ago, and at the end of the meeting, two ladies came to me and they said, are you so-and-so's granddaughter? And I said, yes. And they said, we were there that night. We were there that night that your granddad came and gave his life to Christ. And, you know, he said he couldn't wait to actually give his life to Jesus. Now, there was a rescue part of that story, which is obvious. But then what happened was that my granddad then created an environment for our family where his children could get to know Jesus if they wanted to. And some of them did and some of them didn't. But one one of them he did was my dad. And then my dad created the same environment for our family where we could have an, an, a chance to, to get introduced to Jesus and have a relationship with him if he wanted to. Now, now, my brothers to this point haven't, but I have. But I have. And I honestly want to say, I honestly believe that if it wasn't for that prayer that my granddad prayed on that battlefield, I really don't know whether I would be standing here right now. And he did not know that he was part of God's rescue plan for me. And so I want to encourage you this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand. And I want to encourage you that actually the ultimate reason why we are rescued is to help other people find the rescuer. But to do that, we have to remember what it's like to be rescued in the first place. And so we're going to take a moment to, and I want you to reconnect with that moment that you became a Christian, that moment that you found Jesus. That, and it may be that, you, you know what, some of us, it's a journey and there's not a specific point, but you know how that feels knowing that you, that you, you're a friend of God. Some of you, there are specific points you think, no, that is the time and the date and the place. And I know, I know that's when I did, but do you know what? All of us can reconnect with that feeling of being rescued and saved. But then we need to know that actually we are rescued to be part of somebody else's rescue story too. So as we sing, I just want you to reconnect with that. And I'm just going to quickly pray and then we're going to sing. And Father, I want to thank you, Jesus, that you went on the ultimate search and rescue mission for me. That Father, you were looking for me my whole life. And I thank you for that moment when I realized that I needed to be rescued and I accepted that invitation to be saved. And Father, I pray for people right now that have never done that, that may be realizing right now that they need that need to be rescued. Father, I pray for that courage to just say to you, Jesus, would you rescue me today? I want to know what it is to feel found. And Father, we never want to lose sight and forget what you did to find us. And would you help us reconnect with that right now so that we can be a signpost to the rescuer for other people in our world. That we are rescued to help others find the rescuer. Amen.